Greetings and salutations to everybody out there in podcast land. This is the Judo Chop Suey Podcast. And I'm your host, Judo Dave Roman. If you haven't noticed already, right off the bat, my voice probably sounds a lot different than it has in previous podcasts because I am recording this podcast in an actual studio. I have a little uh, something to admit to all my listeners is that over the past uh, eight weeks now, I've been recording this podcast on my phone while sitting in my car while parked in my garage with all the windows up. That's how I've been bringing the Judo Chop Suey podcast to you. But no more. I'm recording this in a studio today because I, I wanted to get a, I wanted to improve the quality of this podcast. And moving forward, I'm going to be recording this podcast on much improved equipment. I recently, by recently, I mean yesterday, I ordered some equipment that I'm going to install into my home, just basic entry level stuff, but it'll get me out of the garage. It'll get me into an actual room that's going to be comfortable to sit in and record on and with my laptop in front of me and not a whole bunch of paper notes in front of me and such. So I'm really excited for that stuff to come in tomorrow. Um, that At least that's what Amazon.com tells me. It's going to arrive tomorrow on Sunday, which is Super Bowl Sunday for all of you living in the United States. Now, I know it's a global event, but I, in case you guys, and about half of my listeners are not in the United States. So in case you guys are not aware, the Super Bowl is the biggest sporting event in the United States. And, and it's one of those sporting events that even people who don't follow football throughout the rest of the year will watch the Super Bowl. It's, it's next to the World Cup of soccer or football. It's the most watched sporting event of the year. At least that's my understanding. And I'm really looking forward to the game tomorrow. I'm a huge football fan. I'm a huge NFL fan. And I'm a very big Patriots fan. Now, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers will always be number one for me. But given the fact that I'm originally from New England, I will always have a rooting interest whenever the Boston sports teams are competing for any sort of championship. So for me, I'm a Patriots fan tomorrow, and I can't wait to see the game. I think it's going to be a very close game. It's, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And I am predicting right now that the Patriots will win. Now, by the time you listen to this podcast, the Super Bowl will have already been long over with, and we'll know who the winner is. But I'm predicting right now, Patriots by three. If I was a gambling man on this game, I think I would take the under which the under is set at 59. So I can't I can't wait to see the game. I think uh, tonight they're going to announce the league MVP. It's probably going to be Matt Ryan. I think it should have been Ezekiel Elliott, but we'll see what happens tonight. However, you guys are not here to listen to me talk about the NFL. This is a judo chop, chop suey podcast, and I'm going to talk about judo. There's a few housekeeping things that I want to get get out of the way, starting with the fact that just just the tremendous amount of reaction to my last podcast. I thought, to tell you the truth, I thought I was talking out of my rear end on many of my points, but it really, really seemed to strike a chord with many of you. And I'm just overwhelmed by the reaction. This this my last podcast happened to be my most listened to podcast and 
I really appreciate not only all the regular listeners checking out the podcast and chiming in with their opinions, but I've seen to pick up a couple of new listeners as well. And I'm really excited about that. I, I, I love doing this podcast and I love interacting with the listeners, whether it be on Reddit for all you freaks out there or via email. I've received a bunch of email on uh, related to my last podcast. And, and again, I'm very grateful I didn't get the voice memos. I, I really would love for you guys to send me one or two minute uh, voice memos and one or two minute length voice mem- memos. I think that would be a lot of fun. Um, but, but that's okay. It doesn't, you guys, if you don't feel comfortable putting your voice out there, I'm still going to ask you guys, shoot me emails, reach out to me on Reddit, hit me up on Twitter at La Vida Judoka. Check me out on Facebook. You can look that up at Judo Chop Suey. But I received a lot of email about my last podcast, and there's some emails that I want to get through, and we'll do that in the reaction segment. So I just wanted to put that out. That's what we're going to be talking about today. I want to talk about the reactions to my last podcast, and there's some points that some of you made that I completely missed on my last podcast. And so it's going to go into, it's going to be a reaction type podcast to some of the things that we talked about, but I also want to talk about self-defense and judo. Um, I, I think that's an important topic to discuss because some of you expressed that judo does not have a self-defense component. Uh, so I'm going to get into that in this podcast. Before I get into any of that, I want to talk about my week. Turns out, no sooner do I talk about the lack of adult judo participants uh, among the clubs that I have visited, we have three new adults visit on Wednesday. I it was just the timing of it. I find a little bit humorous. I almost it's almost as if I spoke that into existence. You you speak something into existence and it just happens. Now I don't personally believe in that kind of stuff. I know a lot of people out there do that. You speak things into existence because you know what? If that was true, I would speak into existence one million dollars every other week. So so I'll speak into existence a million dollars. I hope I get a million dollars today or tomorrow. That'd be wonderful. Um, but I would settle for winning the Super Bowl pool that I'm a part of. But we had three adults join the class um, and try it out there. From we, Our judo club shares space with, the, with a jiu-jitsu club that the owner of that club runs. And, and he's a good guy. South Shore Mixed Martial Arts in Ruskin, you need to know. And we share mat space with those guys. And I don't know why they came over. I, I think the, the instructor there just decided to take a night off or, or something like that. And you'll get no complaints out of me from that. But they came over and I thought they did really well. They were very receptive to it. And, and it's funny, all the things that I talked about that I thought were an issue in judo, I tried to, I, I took control of these three adult beginners. I didn't want them to... I wanted them to warm up properly and stuff just to get their muscles loose and everything. But I really wanted to teach them taking falls. I We ended up teaching them Ippon Sayanagi. And I thought I thought all three of them did really well. I thought they all did, since they are in jiu-jitsu, they did pretty well with a lot of the judo-specific warm-up exercises like the shrimping that we do and the forward rolls and things uh, you know, things like that. And I, I thought they did really well. Uh, one fellow took the Ponseinagi very well. And he 
happens to be my age, just older than me by a few days. And and for a 42-year-old guy trying judo for the first time, I thought he did really well. So I commend them for that. I thought they all did well. It was it, it really breathed some new life into me to be able to teach beginner adults. I, I've said this well to, to people in conversation in the past. I don't think I've ever mentioned this on the podcast. I enjoy teaching kids, but I think I do a much better job teaching adults uh, because, you know, kids tend to, you know, look up at the sky while you're trying to uh, show them something or they, they, they just don't. They don't understand how to pay attention, some of them anyway, and they don't quite understand some of the little nuances that I could possibly explain while teaching a throw. I think it would go over their head. But with adults, I can teach the finer points of certain techniques, and it's not a waste of time because adults, at least when I was coming up through the ranks, my judo instructor was excellent and he was very good at teaching me judo in a way that I can understand and relate to. And I feel that a lot of judo clubs out there teach adults in the way in the same way that they teach their uh, their child students and it's it's not really good because children learn through watching and adults typically learn by things being explained to them in a more comprehensive way. So Given that I spent time teaching them some of the finer details of the techniques and things like that, I thought they all did really well. And I commend them for for coming in and, and giving judo a try. Now, I, I have my my doubts that they'll stick with it, but um, but I was very happy to have them. And I'm sure at the very least they may pop in once every couple of weeks, maybe once a month and just just to do something different. And And it's really great to have that that uh, open door policy, especially, especially with, with the both clubs that share the same mat space. Uh, well, we're not literally on the same mats, but we're within the same building. So it was great having them there. I was very enthusiastic and um, it just, it, it just kind of funny how just the timing of it all here I am, you know, talking about, you know, no adults anywhere near my age doing judo, even try attempting to start judo and I get three on Wednesday. So I thought that was really great. And and uh, I'm really appreciative that they visited. In case none of you are aware, the Paris Grand Slam starts in one week. And the IJF is dubbing it the most social event in IJF history. Uh, can somebody help me out and let me know what that means? Because the IJF's website is very silent on what that exactly means. So I'm left here speculating. I see it on Twitter, most social event in IJF history. I see it on their front, the front page, most social event in IJF history. Yet I have no idea what that means. Uh, over the past several years, I know people have followed the IJF uh, major events on Twitter. I know a lot of people are watching it on Ipontat TV. So I don't know what they are doing different this year than in previous years. If somebody wants to shoot me an email and, and point me in the right direction, I scoured the IGF website and I didn't find anything that was very specific on why it, this is going to be the most social event in IGF history. I'm going to guess that perhaps, I don't know, it, I think it would be kind of cool if, if they streamed this live on Facebook 
somehow using their Facebook Live feature, which I don't, I, I, I'm not on Facebook very much. I don't use those kind of features because I mean, you know, what am I going to live stream? Me, me cooking a, a hamburger or something? It's ridiculous. So I don't know what, how they're going to do that. I think it would be kind of cool if they let the maybe the athletes talk on their own Facebook streams and say something along the lines of, oh, I'm feeling really nervous or or maybe being overly confident and saying I'm going to win this whole thing. It'd be kind of cool like if the athletes maybe promoted this and if they were even going to do that, which it, it, I, I can't imagine that they would do that. But I don't know, maybe a behind the scenes locker room like Antonio Brown of the Pittsburgh Steelers did, which was against NFL rules, apparently, but he did it anyway. Maybe an inside peek behind the, the preparation and you get that live. I don't know. Maybe Neil Adams is going to call a, a a match while while a camera is pointing at him. I have no idea. It's it. The IJF did not explain what this is supposed to mean. And we'll see, I guess. I mean, as a as a consumer of watching sport judo, I'm left wondering, I'm not going to do anything different other than watch it on Ipon.tv. If they have it streaming on Facebook, uh, I'll, I'll likely check it out there. And that way, you know, I can comment on anything that happens in the matches as my Judo Chop Suey account, which if you search on Judo Chop Suey on Facebook, it, it'll get you to my Facebook page. I have the videos that I put up there are just um, of the podcast itself. And there's some videos of me doing Ron Dory from many years ago. But um, we'll see how that goes. I, I wish the IJF was a little more clear on what that means. If any of you out there happen to work for the IJF, know anybody within the IJF, um, maybe you can clue me in because either I'm some ignorant American that can't figure out what you know, find the news article on the IJF site or the IJF is just not promoting this thing in a way that makes sense when they make such bold claims, most social event in IJF history. No clue what that means. Somebody help me out, please. So what I want to get into now is this is going to be my reaction segment, and it's going to lead into the main topic of self-defense that I want to talk about. But I want to get I want to respond and and talk, read some of the email that I received um, and kind of respond almost like on the fly as I'm reading this for you guys. I thought uh, I thought some of the email points that people sent me were spot on and some of the comments that people uh, made on, on Reddit that I'll get into were spot on. Now, the first email I'm going to read is from a fellow by the name of Jonah UL. Um, and I'm only using his name because he gave me permission to use his name. And he wrote a very thorough email. Now I'm not going to, I'm not going to read every single email in its entirety, but there are points that Jonah made here that I completely missed out on my last podcast. And I think it's one of the most important points when it comes to perhaps why there are not many adult beginners in judo. So Jonah says, judo has the impact moment, the moment when you hit the mat. Learning how to fall can take a while and people need to be brought along slowly. 
This is why it's very important to have excellent mats and excellent mat surfaces. We started out with the one meter by two meter rectangle tatami, which were acquired secondhand off of Craigslist. Then we laid down wooden floors. The falling surface was pretty good. If you had excellent falling technique, you could fall without getting hurt. Then again, it's hard for me to judge since I've been doing judo on and off since I was eight years old. When I started, I think we had those really hard straw tatami. So I have no idea what it feels like as an adult beginner to take a fall on those mats, but it's probably a shock. Even before we could really afford to do it, I bought brand new Dollar Murph Flexi Roll mats. I put them on a credit card and it was about six grand, which uh, this is just me talking here. I, I, I can't get over how expensive mats are, but I, I'm sure there are plenty of reasons why. Anyway, continuing on. Uh, let's see. Da, 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 da. Still a great investment. These new foam mats are way better. Very nice than what he had before. Uh, here's the most interesting part to me, or one of the most interesting parts. A few months ago, we moved to our current location. And my main criteria was to find a place where we could build a wooden subfloor supported by foam blocks. You've probably heard of this. It's called a judo subfloor or a floating floor or the Denver floor. The cost for the foam and the wood was less than $1,000, and we got everyone to pitch in and build the floor in one day. Now, we have a primo landing surface for that impact moment. It's bouncy, but not too bouncy. It's great for kids and adult beginners. I think this is a critical point that you may have overlooked. And you know what, Jonah? I completely agree with you, because my first judo club happened to be at a YMCA and they had a gymnastics floor. And that was a great surface for me and any other beginner to learn ukemi. Now, I was so gung-ho about learning judo when I first started that I, I you could have told me I needed to fall on a basketball floor and I would have done it. I mean, it, it, you know, I, I probably would have only done it a couple times and, and then be and then tapped out for the rest of the day. But I still would have tried if that's what I was told to do. So Jonah is absolutely right because most of the clubs that I've been at, the flooring is less than ideal. It's really, really in most places, it's terrible. Even at my current club, it's, it's, I think it's basically maybe two inches of foam on top of, um, a half inch of, of carpet padding on top of concrete. And, and the foam and stuff is covered by a, uh, 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 what do you call those things? A vinyl cover, which this kind of a setup is great for jujitsu. It's very common in jujitsu clubs where you have a single mat surface spread apart. Um, one of the Gracie sons or grandsons that run one of their academies actually put out a video on YouTube on how they build their, their floor. And it's a really great detailed video. But to Jonah's point, he's absolutely right. I mean, there. I've been in clubs where I've taken Ukemi on those inch and a half, half puzzle mats on top of concrete. Um, I've really only been to one place that had a proper subfloor. And everywhere else that I've ever trained has been less than ideal flooring. And when I went to the club last night and, you know, my sons uh, did some training with me, I started doing hard Ukemi just on my own on these floors and just kind of tried to bring myself back to those beginner days 
And it's hard to do because I've, you know, I've taken hundreds of thousands of falls, but I came to realize that there's something with this. Uh, There's something to Jonah's point that the floors that we have are very, very hard to take a fall on. And, you know, there was a couple of weeks ago, I was doing some light rondori with my, my, my younger son and, and I did a Kodayashi Barai and, and he dropped like a rock and, and he was, he was down for about a couple of minutes. He was just in a lot of pain. And I think that's a real shame. I mean, I felt horrible because I've never, I've, I've never hurt my son in my life and I, I felt terrible about it. And, you, you know, me, you know, one in a future podcast, I'll talk about um, injuries in judo and the things that I've done and the injuries that I've had, not, not to brag, but to, you know, sometimes when you injure somebody in judo, at least for me anyway, I feel very guilty about that. And I feel very ashamed about that. And I feel very helpless about that. And, you know, it's taken, it's still when I, when those type of things happen, I, I just feel awful about it. So, you know, maybe, maybe in a future podcast, I can talk something about that, but, you know, the floors at our club are, I suppose if you're a kid, you know, you, you, you learn to take these falls and it's not so bad. And, and as an experienced adult, you know, last night I was doing Rondori with the club sensei and, you know, he threw me several times and landing on those floors for me is not a big deal. But like I said, I, I'm very experienced taking Kemi, but boy, I, I mean, I was thinking, it, you know, if I caught my son in last night, I was doing Rondori with my son again and I had to hold up because I was thinking to myself, gosh, if he, if he takes a fall here, he's done for the night because he's not going to want to get up. And and I don't want any of my sons or any of the, anybody that visits the judo club to have a negative experience because of things that are right now, right now are outside of our control. And what's outside of our control is having an adequate mat space with a proper subfloor. So kudos to you, Jonah, for putting in that kind of an investment for your club. And I'm sure it goes a long way with anybody who visits, whether they stick with it for the long term or or just in there a couple of times. Safety is so important. We can't we can't take those things for granted, you know? I'm going to read a second email that I received. I will keep this this um, emailer's information anonymous, but I'm sure once I read it, he will recognize that I'm talking about him. Hey, Dave, I've been listening since you first posted the podcast on the Reddit page and love it. <laughs> Thank you very much. I've always wanted a judo podcast and you're filling that niche. You made some great points about the success of BJJ and the failings of judo in marketing itself. One thing I think you missed about wrestling and BJJ is collegiate wrestling is even more popular in the U.S. than either freestyle or Greco. And more importantly, that BJJ is with its or with its more open rule set encourages wrestlers to try it where they can still use some of the wrestling where in judo anymore, the bread and butter techniques of wrestling are now illegal. Yeah, just on that point, I, I, I get what you're saying. And I think... You're kind of changing my opinion. I mean, now my opinion has always been to, I, I, I understand why the IGF made the changes for sport judo, and you know, from an aesthetic standpoint, for the IGF high level competition, 
I think when they take away the leg grabs, it looks better on TV or or on epon.tv or whatever. But some of you guys have really, you're changing my opinion on uh, or making me feel more strongly about that leg grabs need to be need to be the rule for 99.9% of judoka and not made the exception. Because right now it's only the exceptional that are out there that need to worry about uh, not grabbing the legs, uh, and and I feel I, I feel I feel leg grab should be a regular part of the curriculum, and I I, I agree with that point. So you you guys are I, I've kind of sort of had a hardline stance on the leg grabs. I mean I would prefer them in judo, but I I'm okay with them not being in judo. But some of you guys are I guess what I'm trying to say is you some of your points here are starting to make me feel not okay about not having leg grabs because, and I'll read another email that I think really, really hammers that point home. Um, so I'm going to continue on with this anonymous emailer. Your point about promotions, I found very salient. My brother and I were promoted to Shodan, then me to Nidan by our Godan sensei, but we never wanted to learn kata so we do not hold any registered Don rank with the USJF or US Judo. A Godon with 40 years of experience knows a Shodan when he sees it, but all the red tape is stifling, right? I, I, honestly, I, and that was part of my point, I think, toward the end of my last podcast, that the red tape in these organizations to promote, I think, are is, is a, really a bit too much. And... I mean, this emailer is absolutely correct that you, is somebody really going to argue with a godon or or somebody that's been in judo for 20 years that they're they don't know the the skill level of a shodan and who is and who isn't deserving um so i i agree with you anonymous emailer uh let's see uh continuing on in the reddit thread for this episode people mention that judo should be bottom up and not top down a possible future episode idea, question mark. Another thing I think that draws people to BJJ is starting to learn cool stuff right away. I think the ban on arm locks till black belt and judo is patently absurd. Now, I've never heard that in my life. I, I started learning uh, arm locks in judo as a white belt. But that's not the first thing I've heard. I, 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 I heard or I read some of you guys saying, excuse me, I read some of you guys saying that you didn't get to learn arm locks as an adult till brown belt, which I think that is absurd. I've, I've never seen that personally. I think the ban on arm locks for children till they're 13. I think that's, I think that's good. I don't, I, I think younger than 13 children should be worrying about improving their position than worrying about submissions. Uh, cause, cause if you, you're going to stick with this for the long term, you can, you can learn all that stuff later, but cementing the fundamentals of position is important. But I think for adults, you need to have them start learning cool stuff right away, as this email puts it. And I completely agree. Uh, on his point with the judo being bottom bottom up and not top down, uh, somebody on Reddit go, going by the name of Lawful Broccoli echoed that sentiment. And he stated, judo should be a bottom up grassroots martial art focused on normal people. Currently, it's a top-down sport that focus on, focuses on the Olympics and the ultimate goal of judo. Or he focuses on the Olympics as the ultimate goal of judo. And that's not what the people 
And it's not that the people at the top are malicious, but all they know about judo is as international competitors. And I think Lawful Broccoli, you are spot on. And he echoed what I tried to explain in my last podcast with this idea of with this idea of there'll always be competitive monopoly players or competitive rock scissors payer, uh, paper players, but that's those competitions are there. There's like competitive the, one of the most recreational activities I've ever done scuba diving. There's competitive scuba diving. So so for every recreational activity out there. There will always be people who want to compete and they should have that option. But man, lawful broccoli is right on. Right now, the way that judo is structured, it is a top-down sport instead of a bottom-up grassroots martial art. And I and I think I think if you want to get people to more adults involved in judo, it's gotta be a grassroots martial art. And that's what Brazilian jiu-jitsu is in all the clubs that I've visited, is that by and large, it's local people that just want to go hard and train, and they don't even worry about top-level competition, and you don't have guys dictating to them that this is how it's got to be. Now, I shared this podcast on the Brazilian jiu-jitsu subreddit. Lots of fine folks over there chimed in. I wanted to to read a couple of their statements. Um, One fellow's issue with judo is that there were a ton of kids under 10 years old, as you mentioned, but they were also a bunch of older black belts. And he's guessing, you know, 50 year olds and old and over. It was really hard to train as a 25 year old beginner. The old guys were tossing me around like rag dolls and the kids were just too small for me. I moved on to jiu-jitsu, but I always wanted to check out guerrilla jiu-jitsu since it's a hybrid, but it was far too far away for me. The thing about the older guys was that they never let me get any offense. I get it, that they've paid their dues and don't want to get sloppily thrown by some 20-something-year-old. But for the six months I was there, I really didn't learn much. I wrestled in high school, so I knew how to take a fall well enough. Yeah, and to your point, that doesn't surprise me because, and, and it's hard now that I'm in in my early 40s, it's hard for a 25-year-old or 20-something-year-old person to understand what it's like to be a man in your middle age. You know, all the injuries that you pile up in your 20s will catch up with you in your 40s. I'm seeing that for myself. So now, at my judo club, I probably take more falls than anybody else there. I, I really do. I, I let myself get thrown all the time. And, and I'm okay with that. And I think, I think older judo black belts who are instructors need to take falls. I mean, unless you are, you know, to me, if you're older than 60, I think you can get the pass. But I know there are plenty of older uh, gentlemen out there and and ladies who've been teaching judo for for forty plus years who still take their ukemi, um, but beginners have to learn what it's like to feel like to throw, and you can't learn that from kids, and you can't learn that from being tossed around by fifty year old plus black belts who have just been doing this their entire lives. You gotta there has to be a lot of give 
by instructors who are in their middle age if you're teaching. And if there isn't, then you, you know, I think you're doing your students a disservice. Another fellow in the jujitsu subreddits also said, uh, the adult, the kids to adult ratio is ridiculous at judo. As a recreational judoka, I feel that my training is less important compared to the competitors. Boy, and this is just me. I can completely relate to that. You're, you're at a lot of clubs. If you're not a competitor, you're treated like a second rate citizen. Continuing on, the IJF seems to care more about the city clubs and the country clubs. Rules to better the sport has caused judo to stop being a self-development, self-defense tool, which I'm going to get into his points. He put in parentheses leg grabs, but I think that that point is excellent and, and I'm going to con- uh, go on with that. Which, uh, judo's, uh, this, uh, rules have stopped, uh, caused judo to stop being a self-development, self-defense tool, which is what a big chunk of what makes Brazilian jiu-jitsu so big. That's a few issues I feel affect judo and I could go more into my actual club. He goes on to say, at Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, I go in, I learn, roll, and meet plenty of people my own age. Competitors and hobbyists work together with a community feeling. Yes, and I, I, I've, I've sensed that at the clubs that I've been at. Continuing on, also people use the my old knees excuse not to be thrown happily crawl around the ground for 10 minutes like it's nothing. I, I thought that was kind of funny. I, I, I understand your sentiment there. And uh, I, 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 I've never seen that personally, but, but I'm sure if, if you have experienced that, many others have experienced that as well. I'm going to read uh, this last email that I'm going to read. I, I received a lot of responses, um, but this last email I'm going to read Um, I'm going to keep his name anonymous, but he also brought up many different points here. Um, so I'm going to go on to read some, I I have, uh, actually five points. He wrote me a very lengthy email and uh, I was, was very, um, impressed by his points. This is his perspective. Jiu-Jitsu has a self-defense component, which I have not seen in judo. My jiu-jitsu school is known for producing many high-level competitors, but as a new student, you will always be introduced to self-defense concepts for at least six months to one year, and these will constantly be reinforced as you move up the ranks. Concepts like blocking punches, escaping headlocks, standing up if you've been knocked down. I think as a new student, these concepts are easy to understand and their applicableness is very apparent. Whereas the focus of judo seems to be all about the ippon, very little focus on anything outside of that. Getting an ippon is great, but if you land in a bad position, what's the point? His second point here. Judo rules are very confusing, not the rules themselves, but the constant changes by the IJF, i.e. no leg grabs, certain grips are forbidden, whereas in my honest opinion, the rules in jiu-jitsu are easier to understand. There are very few illegal grips or submissions in jiu-jitsu allowing for greater simplicity. You rarely have to worry about tracking the rules. Just don't slam somebody, you punch them in the face, and you're probably good to go. Agreed. I, I, I get you there. His third point, tradition versus evolution. The jiu-jitsu world is completely different in terms of technique now than even one or two years ago. The rate of evolution in jiu-jitsu is astonishing, but I haven't seen this drive to evolve in judo. Maybe Tachiwaza techniques lend themselves to less evolution in judo. 
Compared to judo, jiu-jitsu has relatively few rules, and you can attack almost any joint, upper or lower body, perform almost any grip, shoot for the legs, wrestling style, or throw judoka style. I feel this blend allows jiu-jitsu players to truly find their preferred game, whereas the judo framework, largely based on the rules, is way too structured. You can play within the confines of the rules, but they seem more limiting. I, I, I can't argue with that. You know, I, I think... Well, I've talked about this before with these rules changing because uh, the IJF have been threatened by the IOC. And as, so long as people have jobs in the IJF and their money and their salaries are paid by, in part, the IOC and getting the Olympics, uh, getting judo in the Olympics every four years, I just don't see that changing, which is unfortunate because I think this anonymous e emailer here makes some great points. His fourth point here, Japanese terms. I tested for my yellow belt recently. Being that I'm a brown belt in jiu-jitsu, I have been exposed to lots of judo technique. The hardest thing for me to learn personally was learning Japanese terminology, not the throwing. Now, I did talk about in my last podcast that I feel that judo is too Japanese in terms of how it's structured, how classes are structured. And and he, this goes on to his, his, his last point. But but my my only response to this particular point with the Japanese terminology is that we all need a common terminology within the sports that we participate in, even even if that terminology is foreign. Like, uh, you know, for example, international basketball, I'm sure a dunk in the English language, even in Spanish, they probably call it a dunk. Or, or some you know, things along those lines. Maybe, maybe other countries have their own wording for dunk. But you know, I I think the the origin the 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 country that originates the rules of a particular sport usually the language is used to describe those things so that everybody's speaking the same language, so to say. That's why you have you can have you know Chinese IJF officials refereeing a match between. Uh, you know, Israel and Egypt, and they're all speaking the same lang language on the uh, competition area. So, you know, I, and I think I think that's understandable. Japanese terms, I feel, still think need to be used, but in terms of everything else, I I agree with which this is his last point here. The jujitsu last lifestyle. This concept mainly comes from a laid back Brazilian approach to life. When I think of jiu-jitsu lifestyle, I think of training jiu-jitsu, having a healthy lunch, going to the beach, and hanging out with friends. I think this is attractive to adults who are used to being in uptight business meetings where everything is formal and structured. Completely agreed. Hence, they don't want to go to a formal structured judo class. Jiu-jitsu is like surfing. You do it because you love the waves and being in the water and hanging out with friends. If you fall off your board, no big deal. You share a laugh with friends, you can hop back on and do it again. Now, I've done some surfing myself in my time, and I completely agree with that example there. And I, I thought his last point uh, was spot on. You know, for kids, the Japanese structure of things is fantastic, and, and parents eat that stuff up. You know, they're going to learn discipline. You know, they're going to be in a structured environment for learning and this and that. They're going to get stronger. They're going to learn new skills. They're going to learn how to protect themselves, hopefully, Um Parents eat that stuff up when they sign up their kids to judo. But come on, I, I completely agree with this emailer. And it's it's been 
you know, it's been something I brought up in my last podcast. I think judo is too Japanese for the adult beginner. And we're not Japanese. We're, we're, you know, we're Americans. And I'm sure in the UK, it's probably a similar sentiment as well. In, in other countries, I know other countries don't probably care about that stuff. But look, we're different. And, and unless you have actually lived in the United States, you might not understand that. You know, a couple of people have talked about, brought up the aspect of self-defense. And I think that that's an aspect that I missed out on the last podcast. And I want to talk a little bit about that because, and this, but I want to start off talking about my personal journey within martial arts and why I think these people are correct when it comes to self-defense. Now, for me, my journey in martial arts started in 1984, where a young teenager from Newark, New Jersey, is forced to move from his home that he loves to sunny California. He's forced by his mother to go out to a, in an area that he doesn't know, and he's having trouble making friends and getting into a lot of trouble. And I'm not talking about me, talking about Mr. Daniel LaRusso. Otherwise known as the Karate Kid. I gotta take karate, that's it. You took karate. No, not, not, not at the Y, at a good school. Now, I gotta say, that movie is what sparked an interest in me to not only get into martial arts, but to learn self-defense. And I don't know, I don't know what my age demographic for my listeners is, but I know there's a there's a few of you out there that are close to my age. Uh, may, I'm guessing maybe more than a few. And at least in the United States, the 80s were awesome. The, the 80s were awesome for movies. And that period of time really shaped my desire for to learn martial arts. That started in 1984 for me. And that entire movie was was just awesome. It was everything that I wanted. I mean, as a kid, I wanted to be Daniel LaRusso. If Mr. Miyagi was my sensei and he told me to go paint the house, say, say. paint the house, I, I would have painted Los Angeles for him if it meant learning karate. I mean, that's how awesome I thought Mr. Miyagi was and Daniel and, and Sensei John Kreese. I mean, that movie was just such a perfect 80s movie to me and and it just really planted a seed of desire to be involved in martial arts and and learn something and and movies just got better as as the years went on i mean in that same year maybe in 1985 you had um you had american ninja now when i saw american ninja i mean that was just like I thought ninjas were awesome. I mean, I had a friend. His name is Jeff. I'm sure maybe he'll listen to this. I, I don't know. Jeff had a ninja suit and a ninja sword. And I thought he was awesome. The martial arts movie scenes and the Karate Kid, uh, American Ninja, a blood sport. Okay, blood sport was just, blood sport just took things to the next level. And in that same year, you had Bloodsport and, and Above the Law. Uh, you, 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 Steven Seagal as Nico Toscani. I mean, come on. I mean, Nico was awesome. 
And I mean, the first time I saw Aikido and throws, I know people say that wasn't really Aikido, but I don't care. I'm calling it Aikido. Steven Seagal would just break people's noses and, and throw people through plate glass windows and, and, and just punch everybody that was in his way. Just was just incredible. And, and blood sport. I mean, I, I thought Mr. Miyagi was, was, was awesome. And then Frank Dukes' sensei, Senzo Tanaka. If Senzo Tanaka is his Shidoshi, then show us the Dimak. What the hell is a Dimak? Who trained him, that, that whole scene when he was training Frank Dukes and to, to go to the Kumite and because he was older and his son died. Like, that was just so, so awesome. And, and you know, when I almost cried in that scene where I do this to honor you, Shidoshi. I mean, it's just... It was just awesome. And there's only two movies I've ever cried in. That was The End of Schindler's, Li Schindler's List and No Joke when Optimus Prime was killed in Transformers the movie. And I think that was like, those are the most traumatic uh, scenes that I've ever watched in a movie um, that brought me to tears. But the, uh, To Honor You, Shidoshi, almost brought me there. I, I was just like, I want a Shidoshi so bad. I, I don't even know what that word means, but I want a Shidoshi who throws me around with like one finger. And <laughs> it was just, that movie was just over the top. And and, and Chong Li, and, and and at the end when he when he fights Chong Li blind because Chong Li cheated and he kicks him. And then he took the bandana and, and another scene that almost made me cry when he told his buddy, biker buddy, you know, the, fight with his clothes on. He gives him the bandana and he says, I love you. Like it just that movie blood sport was, was awesome. Above the law was awesome. And then a couple of years later, one of my all time favorite martial arts movies, hard to kill had probably the greatest at the time. Anyway, the greatest single line in all of movies, the blood bank line. I'm going to take you to the bank, Senator Trent, to the blood bank. And if you haven't watched that movie, you, you got to watch that movie. That movie is just incredible. So, and on top of all of this, and I haven't mentioned this yet, but I'm a closet wrestling fan too. I love WWF. I grew up watching that. Now it's WWE. Yes, I know. I'm going with my friend Matt to WrestleMania this year. It's in Orlando. I can't wait to see it. I, I, I will be a mark for all of these wrestlers that come out i can't wait to see new day i can't wait to see see uh samoa joe now who's on there i can't i can't wait to see enzo and Cass, and, and i can't wait to root for roman reigns because everybody boos him so i i can't wait for wrestlemania it's going to be awesome i've never been to one before it's going to be probably the biggest sporting event of sorts that i've ever been to but i mean macho man randy savage mr wonderful paul orndorff Hulk Hogan, Brutus the Barber Beefcake, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. My that entire 80s through 90s shaped what I wanted to be in life. I wanted to fight. I didn't want to fight. I wanted to learn how to fight. And all of my that whole time, my formative years were were was surrounded by fighting movies. And you know, there's Rocky and you know, Mr. T, you know, as, as Clubber Lang. I mean, th that movie was incredible. And, you know, and then Rocky IV, you know, the, the Cold War and everything. Everything, every movie that I liked as a kid, um, besides some of the common ones like Star Wars and stuff and Indiana Jones, everything was about fighting. 
And all of that shaped me and shaped and, and cultivated this desire to want to learn martial arts, especially because growing up, I wasn't any of those guys. I was, I was kind of short. I was very skinny. You know, I, I didn't have a lot of self-esteem. I didn't have a lot of confidence. And, you know, mom, dad, if you're listening to this, don't worry about that. I'm a, I'm a very strong, emotionally secure, confident man today. And I thank you for everything you've done for me. But look, growing up as a teenager, that's exactly how I felt. And I wanted to be a fighter. I wanted to learn martial arts. You, you know, I just, growing up, it just wasn't going to be, the, it wasn't the right time for me to get into martial arts for a lot of different reasons, reasons that I'm not going to get into here. Um, but a lot of movies shaped my desire for martial arts. One of, uh, one of my good friends back home, his brother was a black belt in Taekwondo and he, and he had this awesome Bruce Lee jacket. And like, I will, I still look, look up to him today, believe it or not. And he does jujitsu. I, I believe he's probably, a, he's got to be a purple belt by now, maybe a brown belt, but He's done a lot of training throughout his entire life. He's he's well connected up in the Boston area with different clubs up there, and, and he's a great guy. And he's one, he was one of my main influences in a, in a real sense. I mean, all of these other characters were just characters, but but he was one of my first real influences. And by the time I hit twenty years old, I finally signed up for karate um, because I wanted to be somebody who could defend themselves. I wanted to be the the Nico Toscanis or the Daniel LaRussos or or uh, the Frank Dukes of the world. I wanted to be part of that. And and I was I finally took karate. And I was in karate for about a year or so and I wasn't a very mature 20-year-old. And I guess I thought at the time I deserved certain promotions that I didn't get when the other people were getting. I competed at the nationals, the, the the nationals for in the novice division. I didn't compete against black belts, but you know I came in fourth place. I didn't have a very good showing. I had a had a fractured foot, and and it it affected my ability to do certain techniques. So I I only came in fourth place, but it was a good experience and. Let's see, that was about, what, 95 or so. So it was around this time time when I came across this, this, this friend of mine with the, with the Bruce Lee jacket who did Taekwondo. And, you know, we start talking about, I, I saw them, I saw him at a, uh, back in when it existed, a blockbuster video. And, you know, he was telling me about uh, the UFC. Now, the UFC came out the year prior. Uh, and I did not watch it at that time. I only heard about it. I didn't know who Hoist Gracie was at the time, but he was telling me about the UFC and we just kind of bumped into each other at a blockbuster and we were talking about, you know, the training that I did. I told him, yeah, I recently stopped training. He's like, you know, it's like, you know, he's like, yeah, I've been, I've been training in, uh, in grappling and this, this thing called Gracie Jiu Jitsu. It's, it's all about grappling and taking down people. And, and at the time I was like, yeah, that, that sounds pretty cool and stuff, but I'm, Pretty sure my my knife hand to the temple would block any double leg attempt. I I, I really believe that. I actually believe that. 
that if I do a, a knife hand to the to the throat or the temple that on anybody shooting a double leg that 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 would just <laughs> render them unconscious. So, um, so he decided to and he invited me over to his house and we watched. Um, I believe UFC one and two. Maybe this was in '96, not not '95, but but we decided to watch UFC one and two, and I, I was. I was blown away because uh, at the time, Hoist Gracie was relatively small. I mean, he's a bigger guy. He was a bigger guy then than I am now. I mean, I think he was like five for 10, maybe 175. So he, um, he did really, you know, he, he invited me over to his house and, and um, we watched the UFCs that he had. I think it was one and two. And I saw, I saw a lot of the uh, fighters out there. That that really started that event. I saw. I watched everything, and and Hoist went through them uh, with relative ease, and and I was blown away. I mean, I was like, "Wow, this is awesome!" But I still think my knife hand would probably come in handy one day. So he about a week or so later, he invites me to um to some you know, some. American Kempo School. I don't know how he was able to get in there, um, but the guy let him use the mat space, and we rolled around for a bit, and he proceeded to tap me out uh, many times, and and I was like, oh, yeah, this is pretty cool, but, you know, we're just rolling around on the ground. What's a big deal? So he teaches me a few turnovers and things like that, and we do some more sparring, and, of course, I can't pass his, I can't pass his guard and he's tapping me out and I'm like, you know, and then he tells me you'll, you'll never, ever get mouthed on me, which to this day, John, if you're listening, maybe I still can't get mouthed on you, but you know what? I would have a better chance today than I did 20 plus years ago. <laughs> anyway, so a couple of years go by and, and I, I think I saw John intermittently throughout the years and he, one of the times that I saw him, like, you know, a few years after that, he was telling me he was, he had visited Boston Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, which was, I think, in Waltham, Mass. at the time. Waltham or Wakefield? No, definitely not Wakefield. That, that's uh, Pedro's centers in Wakefield. But in Waltham, so, tells me about it. And I remember the times that John tapped me out multiple times. And I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to try this out. So, I go to... Boston Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu ran by a fellow by the name of uh, Roberto Maia, um, I guess multiple Pan Am winner in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Um, very nice man, uh, very very humble, very quiet. And I was probably there. This was this would have been around let's see, I was twenty five years old or so, twenty four, twenty five. So this would have been about uh, what close to two thousand or so. Yeah. So I was there for about three or four months. Um, I was there at the time when Kenny Florian was there um, as a, he was a purple belt at the time at that club, I believe, when I went. So it was either 99 or 2001 on them. So anyway, went to jujitsu. I started getting a little bit better. Now, at the time, there were no such thing as stripes in jujitsu, and it typically took about two years to get a, a blue belt in jujitsu. And there were no stripes in the belt, so... And I think that two years is about is still a normal time. I, I know a lot of beginners that'll get it in about um in about a year or maybe 14, 15 months. But I think two years is still the average. Somebody out there correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe 
you know, maybe it's higher than that. I don't know. I'm not trying to be insulting. So, so I was there for a couple months, but again, this whole desire cultivated by in the eighties and all the movies and all the wrestling and stuff, I wanted to be able to fight. I wanted to be able to, to defend myself in case I get into a fight. Cause I, I guess, you know, when I was 20 years old, you know, I, I remember at the time just there's a lot of in, in Massachusetts, in New England, for whatever reason, you got a lot of 20 somethings year old up there that just like to fight. You know, you call him like, I don't know, like a likes to fight guy. You, you know, that guy, that 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 guy that gets a little bit too drunk and maybe starts messing, you know, starts saying a lot of things just to just to really agitate you to get you to fight. And there's a lot of guys, there's a lot of that kind of guy up there in bars, at least at the time. So I wasn't much in the bar scene, but I wanted to be able to handle myself and defend myself uh, effectively. So I was at jujitsu for three or four months and, and I stopped going, uh, one, because I started planning a move to Florida, but two, at the time jujitsu, every time we sparred, we started on our knees on the ground. And I felt like, wait a minute, this isn't really the kind of stuff I saw in the UFC. Now, I understand what I, at the time, I didn't really understand it. I didn't understand training. I didn't understand the purpose of starting from your knees, not being critical of jujitsu clubs that start on their knees. That's not, please don't get that twisted. But I'm just saying that it was, it was a little disconcerting to me because I, I, I wanted to learn how to fight. And we were starting on our knees. And there is not a fight in the history of the world that I've ever watched that started on the knees. And again, at the time, it was completely lost on me that this is just training and this is how you train for certain positions. But I wanted to learn how to, I don't know, throw punches, stand up, defend takedowns, this and that. Um, and I'm not being critical of uh, of Mr. Maya. He runs a great club. He's, I mean, look at Kenny Florian. I mean, if it wasn't for for uh, for Mr. Maya, we would have never seen Kenny Florian in the UFC. And Kenny Florian had a had a very very nice career in the UFC, and he's doing uh, you know great things post retirement. But I didn't get it at the time. So he, so here I am on on the news groups. On the, on the internet, I finally had internet access. At, you know, this is we're talking about the late 90s. So, so I'm on the, the rec.martial arts news group. Remember those things? Um, before Reddit and all that kind of stuff and, and forums, you had news groups. So there was a rec martial art news group. And I came across this, this, um, this judo versus BJJ debate. And this was the first time I'd ever seen this. I, I, I was like, well, wait a minute. I didn't even know there was a a debate about judo. And because at the time, I didn't even know what judo was. I had no clue. So there was a lot of people arguing judo and Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Some of the old names was Gi Choke. And some of you remember uh, Ice Madchen, or they called her Ice Maiden. And fellow by the name of Ben Holmes, who I still think does judo today. Um, a lot of those people were arguing the benefits, the pros and cons of judo versus Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And I, 
I didn't get it because I, I had no idea what judo was. So I do some searching on the internet and came across judoinfo.com. And I'm clicking around. I was like, wow, this is, this is kind of interesting. Judo starts from standing up. And as I'm clicking around, I watch videos. I see this video, and I'll, I'll never forget these guys. And I'm, I'm always grateful for this club. I mean, this, this club is out in S Stockholm, Sweden. It's called the uh, suginoharu.com. Those guys put out a series of videos. And when I saw their demonstrated techniques of Osotogari, Ipon Sayanagi, Kataguruma, Harai Goshi, Uchimata, I finally found something that resonated with me. And I was like, this is it. I, I knew deep down in my core that judo is the martial art for me, that learning self-defense through judo is what I wanted to do. Talk about the blood sports, talk about the you know, the Miyagi-Do karate, talk about Kempo jiu-jitsu. When I saw judo, I knew this was it. This is exactly what I wanted to do because they showed in some of these videos the transitions going to the ground, some of them anyway. So I was like, well, wait a minute. I can throw this guy and get that arm bar. I can throw this guy and still transition to some of the positions that I learned in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And it was, I was just blown away. It, this, excuse me, this was it for me. So I eventually moved down to Florida. Um, I check out another Jiu-Jitsu club because I couldn't find a Judo club. Um, and I was there for, for a few months and, and um, I ended up having my first son. And becoming a father and, and the financial struggles that I had at the time of being a father um, and, and, a, and, a, uh, and a husband being the sole provider, there was no disposable income for extracurricular activities for me. And at the time, quite frankly, too, I did not have a very supportive wife. Um, that's why I have a new wife. But it took about till 2005 for me to start doing judo. And that was, that was my journey to, to doing judo. But to everybody's point, as I was doing judo, I still had some of the same concerns and frustrations from a self-defense standpoint. Now, oh boy, here we go. I know there's a few people that probably listen to this that are local in Tampa, not I'm not busting on, I'm not insulting anybody, but let's be real. The first club that I started at was out of a YMCA. Some of the self-defense techniques shown there were, were just, to put it kindly, not applicable for actual real life situations. And I don't, please don't send me the email saying, yeah, you know what? Well, I used this once and this and that. Okay, great. I'm glad you were able to defend yourself. The only time I ever used judo in a self-defense Truth be told, was I was going skimboarding one time and the board went all squirrely on me and I fell, uh, did a perfect rear brake fall 
and didn't hurt myself. That's the only time I ever used judo in a self-defense situation. I defended myself from getting injured. But that, that's, that's besides the point. My point is judo, the way that it was taught, was even more sport than, ju- than the Brazilian jiu-jitsu that I was exposed to in Boston Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And, you know, there were the concerns that some of you are bringing up for self-defense and jiu-jitsu. I mean, I'm sorry, pardon me. There's the concerns that you are bringing up for self-defense and judo are are very valid because I stopped doing uh, drop to the knees, Sayanagi or Sayoyatoshi. I stopped doing that years ago because I don't think that's a good technique and habit to get into for self-defense. And, and I mean, I, I injured somebody once doing drop knee. I vowed I'd never do it again. I ended up developing a, a halfway decent Nippon Sayanagi, but and standing Sayanagi, never dropping to the knees. But, but a lot of the follow through techniques and stuff like that, a lot of the techniques for throwing and setups and entries were all for sport judo. And I do, I do believe that sport judo is very good for self-defense still. I get that. I, I really believe that, that I think sport judo far prepares you better for self-defense than Wadaru karate, than kung fu, than American Kempo, than Miyagi-Do karate, whatever. I mean, I think, I think sport judo does a better job in preparing you for the action reaction times in a real life situation, because just like in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and Judo, you're put under a tremendous amount of st- stress and you have to perform. And there's no magic in Judo. It's all hard work and, and, and training your body to react properly. But to everybody's point that talked about self-defense, I completely agree. And I, I, you know, to, to tell a long story, you know, I wanted to kind of give you guys a background in in some of the things that I wanted growing up as a kid, going into martial arts. What what the the bottom line with my interest in martial arts, starting when I was eight years old, actually uh, eighty four. No, starting when I was nine years old, all the way until when I actually started judo <laughs> till thirty was self defense. That's what I wanted judo for. So what I wanted Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu for, I wanted to learn self-defense. And I still love Judo very much, but people are right when they talk about the lack of self-defense. And when adults look to do Judo or they look to go to a martial art, they want to learn something that they can learn to defend themselves. They're not going to Judo clubs to, to learn a sport. They're, they're not. I, I've, I have yet to meet an adult that comes into judo that says, I want to compete in the next local tournament in judo. Why? But that is how adults are brought into judo. They're not taught applicable self-defense techniques. I'm not talking about the, you know, karate chop to the neck, and while they're distracted, you do osorogari, not that kind of stuff. I mean, real scenarios that they may face in a particular situation. Somebody somebody grabs you by the throat. How do you throw from that position? 
you know, now I could, one could argue, well, the grip fighting that you learn in judo can help you diffuse that situation. I agree with that, but you're not going to, you're not going to immediately, you're not showing, yeah, you can do this in self-defense uh, when you teach somebody grip fighting. Yeah, you can do this in self-defense too, people. You, It's always done in the context of sport and winning a match. And that is lost on a lot of adults. And some of the other, the, the, the emailers and the Reddit commenters are right that jujitsu, even though, even though I have, you know, my, one of my experiences starting off in jujitsu was more sport jujitsu. The fact remains that by and large, I do agree with this notion that jujitsu is still sold more as self-defense than it is for sport. It's like self-defense first and then sport. And I think they good I think that is a big reason why judo suffers in terms of membership in the United States among adults. So I, I think you guys are spot on and and um kudos for you to for pointing that out to me because I, I and and you know a couple of weeks ago I reached out to Marius Weiser, the president of the International Judo Federation, and I didn't get um, didn't get a response. I wrote to him asking him about some self defense initiative. Now, apparently, this was discussed in the referee and coaching seminar. Um, I might have missed that because I didn't watch day two, but apparently, that's something the IJF wants to do. But uh, I think that's great. I I've yet to hear. I I I've yet to hear any proposal on that. Mister Visor certainly didn't respond to my email. Um, I, I mean, uh, an acknowledgement from an assistant would have been nice or something, but but people need judo, want to do judo for self-defense first, adults when they walk through that door. And along those lines, many of you have changed my feeling on leg grabs. And, and I, I, I've almost done a complete 180. Now, I'm not saying... Like uh, like I said, I've always made the argument that I would prefer judo with leg grabs, and I feel like that judo, the IJF could have improved the look of judo at the highest level by changing the rules. I always believe that if you just eliminated the wazari in the yuko, that the competitors would be less apt to do leg grabbing techniques like like you know single legs and double legs simply because. Those techniques did not score very often and left you in very vulnerable positions. I'm not saying that Morotegari is a bad technique. I'm not saying that at all. Uh, it's a great technique for self-defense. But for for scoring Ipon or Wazari, it's it's not it's not easy to do. It it, it looks like an easy technique, but to and it's easy to relatively easy to get, you know, back in the days when they had a Koka and a Yuko, yeah. You know, you could get a Koka or a Yuko with with uh, with Morotegari, but it was very rare that I saw that bone rattling Ipon from a Morotegari in high level competition. Um, so, but in terms of the club level, I, I feel that it needs to be included now. I mean, you guys, hey, I am not afraid of saying that. 
I need to rethink my position. If you guys make a compelling argument, we don't, you know, we can debate those arguments. We don't have to divide over those arguments. And hey, in the process, you may very well change my feeling on my previous arguments. And I don't, I don't have this podcast to pontificate and to be right. I have this podcast to talk about judo. And you guys talking about the self-defense aspect of judo and having leg grabs is absolutely correct. It's, it's, a, it's a proper argument. And, and I'm not going to sit here and be a, a, a mouthpiece for the IJF and, and try and defend something that many of you call indefensible. And for the recreational judoka, I've changed, I feel like I've changed my mind. It is indefensible. And judo does need to be a bottom-up martial art because you want, if you want high-level competitors, let them compete under a different rule set. You know, when I play, you know, two-on-two basketball in my backyard, you know, I'm not going to say foul every time somebody does a hand check on me. But in a real game, on a five-and-five game with actual officials, yeah, you can't hand check when you're playing basketball. They'll call a foul on you. Or you, you can't bump out a certain way. They'll call a foul. But I believe you can train for, for high-level judo competition, and you can train for leg grabs. I mean, I, I've done techniques in practice on the ground while rolling that I'm not allowed to do in competition. You know, I think, um, you, you know, they call it Sankaku Garami in, uh, Garami in Judo, but uh, in Jiu-Jitsu, Omoplata, a lot of, a lot of referees will, will call an Omoplata, um, they'll call a Shido or Hansukumaki if you do that in, in competition, but some referees will, some won't. But my point is that I'll do Omoplata in, in practice, but I wouldn't do that in a Judo competition. So, I don't think you would have this issue of high-level competitors um, grabbing the legs accidentally if you allow the lower-level, club-level people to do leg grabs. Even last night when I was doing Rondori, you know, with the club sensei, you know, he was actually commenting to me, oh, man, you know, there were a couple of times that I could have gotten Teguruma on you, but, you know, the, the leg grab. And I said... Dude, go for it. Do Tegaruma. I, I mean, I I I want to be better at judo. I, I don't want to be better at competition. So go ahead. If you see me in a position where I'm leaving myself susceptible to Tegaruma because I'm reaching for my Osoto Gari, do it. Lift me up and slam me down. I'm good. You know, and, and conversely, you know, you wanna you wanna double leg me? Go go right ahead. Um and, and I'll try and stop you. If you want to single leg me, go right ahead. You know, if you want to do, you know, for me, the things that I missed was I, I, I didn't do leg grabs that much, but I liked Kouchi Makikomi. I liked Kataguruma. And, you, you know, when it comes to those techniques, I think people should learn those techniques and learn them and be able to apply them in Rondori and, and just not do them in competition if you're going to compete. It's not a big deal. So with that, I'm going to end this podcast. There are other things that I'd like to get to, but quite frankly, 
I have a time limit on this studio. My next podcast, which will be episode 10, I plan on doing in my home studio and I can pontificate for as long as I want to. But unfortunately, I'm in a time crunch, so I'm going to have to end it here. So once again, if you've made it this far, I really appreciate it. I really appreciate all the support that everybody has given me, the encouragement, the um, the tips, the, the constructive criticism. It has really been, I mean, I say this every podcast, but the response has almost been overwhelming. And I'm, I'm very touched that I'm able to... I was able to resonate with a lot of the feelings that I had about judo and in judo in the United States. And I'm glad that I didn't feel like a, a, a man on an island and that there's a lot of people, a lot of things I said resonated with a lot of people. In fact, to be honest, I mean, maybe some people feel differently and they just kept their mouth shut, but I didn't see anybody really say, you know what? You're wrong. You're wrong on this. Judo should be more Japanese for the American public. You, you know, it, it should be this. It should be that. You know, and I, I, I didn't have that last podcast to be right. I, I had that last podcast to express things that I've seen in judo that, uh, that concerned me. So, but anyway, I'm going to end it here. Uh, I will be back next week to talk about the Paris Grand Slam. Um, I'm really looking forward to, forward to that tournament. I want to see how the new rules dictate the play at, at that tournament. I want to see who wins. I want to see if there's going to be any surprise winners or are you going to be shocking losses. Um, maybe this will be the tournament where Teddy Reiner, uh, Renner loses in, in front of the home crowd. Wouldn't that be something? Well, we'll see how that goes. But with that, thank you for checking out the podcast. I hope you have a great day. I hope you have a great rest of the week. Train hard. Stay safe out there. I'm out. Open Gangnam Style.